Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry at Midwestern Seminary, also author in residence. Still not quite sure what that means. I think it means that um, I write stuff, which is good because that's what I do. I do write stuff, so I'll I'll take the title. Hey, it's another mailbag episode. I want to jump right in. No banter, because again, I apologize. It's just another solo episode with yours truly. But we're going to solve that problem very soon. You'll get the uh, the boring sound of me talking to myself out of your ears shortly. Uh, we're going to have a second installment of the mailbag uh, program here. And we're going to look at Facebook comments today. Last week, we looked at some Twitter Comments today, we're going to look at Facebook. Can anything good come from Facebook? Well, sometimes people ask some good questions. And here is Philip. Philip's actually a friend of mine. He's asking a good question. He's been a pastor a long time and a longtime friend of mine as well. 20 some years he pastors. Uh, I won't go further on his identity because I don't know if he may want to be anonymous. Uh, Philip is asking about Bible commentaries. That point to Jesus. He says, I can and do show my people how each passage and sermon points to Jesus and the gospel, but it would help if I weren't only relying on my own vision. It would be nice to have expert Bible scholars showing me where they see Jesus and the gospel in each and every passage. It's been difficult finding commentaries that do this. And Phil, man, I agree. It's very difficult to find commentaries that do this at least reliably. Sometimes, you know, you know, commentaries are very piecemeal. And this is why. And I think I learned this from you, Phil, in our previous uh, place of employment before either one of us uh, were lead pastors anywhere. Uh, we worked together at a bookstore. And I remember you and another uh, fellow there kind of showing me that um, – uh, going with individual commentaries for particular books was a better route than buying entire sets. You know, a, a complete set of commentaries looks great on your on your bookshelf, but very often um, the best volumes on a particular book of the Bible um, are outside of that set. And so buying individual volumes, I think you gave me that strategy and it served me pretty well. Um, so I have a couple of sets. I, I have a, you know, a big set that, uh, my wife, uh, bought me when I was licensed for ministry back in, uh, the mid nineties, um, because she just thought this is what a pastor's got to have. <laughs> um, and of course I have, um, Calvin's commentaries and things like that. Uh, but by and large, when I'm looking for something to help me preach Christ from every text, uh, I'm looking at individual, uh, books. And so, um, finding a whole series that will reliably do this book by book is pretty difficult, but I want to recommend a couple of them. And Phil, you mentioned, one of these uh, individual volume in um, in your further question on Facebook, but I would just um, ask you to look again at the Preaching the Word series. So Kent Hughes is published by Crossway, does the Preaching the Word Bible commentary, and it's the one that I have found uh, the most reliably. I haven't looked at every single volume, so I can't speak for every single book in the commentary series. Uh, or or in the set, but it's been the one that I have found to most reliably balance substantive, thematic approach to exposition as well as um, Christocentricity, that it has Christ-centered um, exposition in it. 
Um, my favorites in the, in the Preaching the Word series are usually the ones that Ray Ortland <laughs> um, writes, but there are some other volumes that I have enjoyed um, as well. But the Preaching the Word series from Crossway uh, is, I think, the most reliable that is both substantive um, and, and, and Christ-centered. Um, I'm going to mention also this other series. It's actually called the Christ-Centered Exposition Commentary. I don't know that it's complete Old and New Testament total, but there's increasing number of volumes. There's a lot of volumes in the series so far. I'm not sure if it's totally complete yet. Um, but as I said, there's a lot of volumes in it. The, uh, it's edited by David Platt, Danny Aiken, and Tony Morita. Uh, the Christ-Centered Exhibition Commentary Series. It comes from B&H Publishers. Um, the, the only thing that I would mention about this is, um, yes, it is Christ-centered. I have found that it, um, it's not very detailed. It's not very lengthy. I, I don't want to say it's not substantive because I don't mean that it, they don't say good things or important things. It's just there's not a lot of exposition. The, the, the volumes are shorter. When I have looked at these volumes in this series— I have been grateful for some of the ways it points me to Jesus from the text, but I am usually looking for more. I want to see more exposition. I want to see more elaboration, and the scope of the series just doesn't allow for that. So you're usually getting maybe a paragraph or two per passage, and and so it's a it's it's a shorter set, but it's specifically on Christ-centered exposition. And then the last thing, well, not the last thing, but second to last thing I would mention is not a commentary, but is is a study Bible. So if you're looking for something like, man, I want my church members to be able to carry around something or have a resource that continually points them from every text to Christ, it may not be commentaries that you're looking for, but a good study Bible. And the study Bible I know that does this most reliably is the ESV Gospel Transformation Study Bible. It's my absolute favorite study Bible to recommend to others. If you want you know, your folks to have a beeline from the text to the cross, the study Bible I know that does this most reliably is the ESV Gospel Transformation Study Bible. It's one of the original gospel-centered study Bibles. And um, uh, I should mention that I contributed notes— <laughs> In the ESV Gospel Transformation Study Bible, on Peter's epistles and on the uh, uh, Epistle of Jude, as as well. But I don't make any money. Like if you buy a copy, I don't get a dime, right? Uh, that uh, it's it's not a royalty situation. So I feel totally comfortable recommending this to you. And aside from me, there are some great scholars and 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 pastors who have contributed to it. That to me is just like it's a great resource for the average church folk who may not be you know buying you know individual commentaries or whole commentary sets, but they just want a reliable one stop shop, the ESV Gospel Transformation Study Bible. And then you know Phil, you don't need me to tell you this, uh, but others listening may just need to know that if you're looking at commentaries that point to Christ, you typically need to go old. You need to look at classic works. Um, look at the commentaries, you know, um, or the sermons of of Luther and of Calvin. You know, look at some of even the works of the church fathers. Look, you know, look at the classic commentaries. The, the older you go, the more reliably they're going to be pointing you, you to Christ. It's, it's something that... Um, you know, it's just sort of a, a you know trustworthy statement that the older something is, um, sometimes the more sturdy it is. So maybe there's some classic works that you could point people to that serve this desire, serve this function. All right, next question comes from Arturo. 
Arturo says, I know many pastors who have been ordained, some since before the 1980s, and they have a basic understanding of biblical interpretation, but they don't see a need to go to seminary. At what point should a pastor consider pursuing higher education? This is a great question. I'm going to try to answer it as somebody who um, doesn't work at a seminary. <laughs> uh, on one level, I, I I have to be a salesman, uh, not just for seminary education, but for seminary education at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. But I'm also going to answer it uh, totally honestly as one who did pastoral ministry for 20-some years without a seminary education. I did not go to seminary uh, when I started in ministry. And in fact, I did not get my seminary degree until I came to work at a seminary. So I did... Um, all of my years of, of uh, vocational church ministry without a seminary degree. So I hope that we can balance these out a little bit in that um, you're not going to hear me say that you must have a seminary degree to be a pastor or that you have to have a higher ed degree to be a pastor. Uh, I'm just not going to say it. I don't believe it's true. That may be bad salesmanship, but I just want to say that and get it out of the way. But the other thing that I would say is, you know, the reason I didn't go uh, was not because I didn't want to. Uh, it was largely uh, um, the result of of just not having the means, you know. At the time that I was mainly looking at, you know, the right you know, prime opportunity, uh, we did not have as many options, you know, especially when it comes to online options and those sorts of things. Uh, that just didn't exist. There was some distance education type, you know, correspondence type um, education options. Not at the MDiv level, however, but would have been more like a Master of Arts or something like that. So it's a different day. It's a different time. The The delivery systems we have for these things is so much more resourceful and so much more affordable. I know, you know, uh, affordability is still an issue and always will be uh, as higher education becomes more expensive. But it's actually more affordable and accessible uh, than it has been in a long, long time. And so at one point, it becomes an issue of stewardship. If you can do it, if you've never done seminary and you can do it, you probably should. And here is why. You don't know what you don't know, <laughs> right? I mean, you may think, look, I can read all the books. Look, I know because I did this. I, I, I read the right books. Uh, I was a writer, you know, before I went to seminary while I was still, I mean, I, I was a researcher. I did the things that you, I needed to do as a self, you know, studier, as a, as a, you know, self-sufficient student. I did all those things, but there were things that I didn't know that I didn't know. And being in, um, in proximity of people who know specialized things that I cannot access on my own as a generalist. So if I'm pastoring a church, I I don't have ample opportunity to delve deeply into um, uh, you, you know certain academic areas and and things that even could help me practically with the church. But I can go to those who can help me hone those skills that can help you know push me deeper into areas that they have expertise on that I don't have. And one thing I would say is like the older you get. You know, he's speaking about older pastors here, Arturo is. Is, is. is there a point at which you say, you know what, I've seen everything, I've learned everything? No way, man. Like, leaders are learners. You, you should, it, the moment you stop learning or desiring to learn, the moment you become unteachable, uh, you stop growing and you begin to sort of fossilize <laughs> as a leader. You may have a lot more years left, but if you feel like, man, I've, I've seen it all. I've done it all. I've been pastor long enough. There ain't nothing anybody can teach me. That is a point of pride 
that is really unbecoming someone who is a true leader. So you're never too old to find out what you don't know. You're never too old to open new doors and see new vistas of, of educational resources and ed- educational opportunities. Don't coast. Uh, don't take a victory lap too soon. Um, if, if you can, if you have the means, I, I think you should really consider at any age, even if you don't want to pursue a full degree, taking some classes in areas that, that you're not as well studied in. Uh, if you never learned the languages, for instance, take the language, you know, things like that. Leaders are learners. You don't know what you don't know. Consider this a stewardship issue. So that's the kind of point. It's a it's just a measure of discernment at which a pastor should consider higher education. I think if you can afford it, if you can do it, you should consider it. All right. Stephen, also on Facebook, says, uh, any tips? He's asking, any tips for a senior pastor? who is the youngest on the church's pastoral team. (laughs) Oh, brother. Okay. Senior pastor who is the youngest on the church's pastoral team. Well, I'll start with some biblical advice, right? Do not let anyone look down on your youth, (laughs) but rather by example, right? Show yourself. Um, Here's the thing, Stephen, and I, I don't know if this is for you or just, you know, you're asking for the sake of other, other folks who may be out there. Um, this is really good advice. The best way to keep people from looking down on your youthfulness is grow up, pursue maturity, pursue spiritual maturity. Um, I would say if you find people treating you like just a kid or they're not taking you seriously, you could directly address that. You should say like, don't let my youth prevent you from hearing what I'm saying or from you know listening to the, the counsel that I'm giving, or should we even say submitting to my direction and to my instructions? Now, you know, I have a couple of questions about this idea of the senior pastor. I'm assuming that there is a plurality of pastors, and I would also hope to assume that there is a kind of parity, even if you have a lead voice. I'm not I'm not opposed to the title senior pastor, lead pastor. I know like some are, and some of my friends even are, especially if it just means the person who is kind of running point. He's the chairman of the of the board and the, the first among equals, so to speak. Maybe he's the primary preaching voice. Maybe he's the one who directs the church staff, um, that sort of thing. But when it comes time in the room, he's not any more a pastor than any of the other pastors. They're If they're voting, he has one vote, just like everybody else, and he can be outvoted and and all those sorts of things. That's true parity, which I think is biblical. So assuming that that's the case here, that you have true parity, you know, that you don't use any kind of confidence as an opportunity for pride or for power trips. The worst thing you could do, Stephen, or somebody else who needs to hear this, if you're the senior pastor and you're trying to make sure people don't look down on you for being young, the worst thing you could do is start throwing your weight around like a, <laughs> like a big jerk and becoming bossy and try to think, well, you know, really, if I, if I feel out you know, some of this authority, then they'll really take me seriously. That's not going to go well. But I would say having a kind of confidence, confidence without a swagger. So I'll just say, like, if you're really timid around folks, if you're embarrassed or insecure about your own youth around older people, 
and you become somewhat passive as a leader because of it. People will take advantage of that. And it doesn't even matter if you're the if you're younger or older. If you show that kind of passivity, you're you're setting the tone for others to adjust to. I'm just assuming that you can be more vulnerable to this because of the age dynamic. If you're the youngest on the church's pastoral team, if if you're being passive, if you're kind of insecure about your youth, you're kind of letting people acclimate to your passivity. So have a confidence, not a swagger, not a pride, not an arrogance, but a confidence. Act like you belong there. This is advice I'd give to a lot of first-time pastors. They're going to go to a church and uh, they've never pastored before, and so they're kind of nervous and they're kind of anxious, and maybe they're the sixth pastor this church has had in a long time, and they want to be very deferential. They want to bend over backwards to to accommodate people and to, you know, how have you always done it? You know, those sorts of things to kind of not be pushy and not make assumptions. And and that's great. And that's that's very humble. But people need leadership. And there's nothing wrong with acting like you belong there, <laughs> acting like you should be at the table, acting like you're the one they just hired to be the pastor. They put you in that role. Own it. Act like it. It's not a matter of swagger. It's not a matter of of being, you know, domineering or anything that the Bible would forbid. But act like you're the senior pastor, and um, eventually, maybe you'll begin to see people acclimate to that reality rather than to the to the passive reality. And I would just say, you know, as you pursue maturity, don't pursue insularity. Uh, avail yourself. You're not showing yourself young and naive and stupid if you're asking people for their insights and their perspectives. You're showing that you're a good leader when you do that. If you ask for you know the wisdom of older people who have life experiences that you don't have. If you're a younger senior pastor and you're trying to pastor people who are empty nesters or elderly or going through uh, you know life experiences that you don't have, asking other pastors who are older than you or, or even just other, other people in the church who are older than you, who have those experiences for their wisdom and insight shows that you're a good pastor. It doesn't show that you're, you know, that you're dumb or that you, you know, that you shouldn't be pastoring. It shows that, you know, in a sense, what you don't know, and you're trying to um, not make decisions or give counsel out of complete ignorance, but you're consulting the wisdom of the congregation and and, and of your other pastors. Uh, I think that's good. So don't be insular um, as you pursue maturity as well. All right. Last question from our Facebook friends. This comes from Matt, and he's asking, any encouragement for pastors in our unique day? Uh, a very broad <laughs> very broad topic, which uh, as some questions could be, it could be its own episode here. Encouragement to pastors in our unique day. Man, guys are, I think, beginning to drop. Uh, I don't know, listener, if you've been paying any attention to some of the polls and surveys that have come out, some of the data over the last couple of years. So as we come out of like a, a very divisive and polarizing and just fatiguing, wearying political season, and it, from that into um, all kinds of uh, difficult, deep cultural issues facing the church, uh, the justice conversation and the race conversation and all, all, all those sorts of things. And then a pandemic, <laughs> um, guys are just, they're exhausted. And some of the data last year was showing that we had a spike in the number of pastors who have contemplated quitting over the last year. 
a pretty significant spike in those who considered quitting. Now, some would say the bright side looking people say, hey, look, but we don't have an increase in the people quitting, just increase people thinking about it. Well, okay, just give another year. (laughs) And I think what we'll see is as the adrenaline of pushing through and kind of the fog clears of this unique day, I think we'll begin to see people begin to, there'll be a great resorting guys quitting going into other lines of work maybe a great sort of shuffling just as we've seen in the last couple of years i think a lot of church folks changing churches and moving around churches have been essentially sort of you stepped on the bottom of the ocean and all this silt kind of has floated up and the water is all cloudy and now it's all settling back down but it's all settling back down into other places we've seen that among congregations we're going to see that i think with some pastors as well guys kind of moving to different contexts, trying different places. But I think we could see a great number of of folks leaving the pastorate because of the toll that has been taken. So that just speaks to the unique day. I think that's what Matt is talking about. It's a difficult time. It's a trying time. It's a confusing time. Pastors are tired. Pastors are beset on all sides, by people they can't please, no matter what decision they make or thing they say, someone's getting angry. It's a it's a very weird time to be a pastor. Uh, I don't envy those of you who are pastors right now, but I pray for you, and I'm in awe of you, even if you're beaten down and just kind of you know scraping the bottom of the barrel right now. I think you're you are a thing of beauty. What's my encouragement to you? Here it is. There is a pasture on the other side of the thicket. Right now, you can't see it. The thorns are are scraping you. You're dirty. You're sweaty. Your hair is matted. The mosquitoes are coming around you. Your throat is parched. You can't see four feet in front of you. You're pushing through. You don't know what's north, south, east, or west. You're just pushing through this thicket of issues and troubles and anxieties and maybe even hardships and marginalizations and and things in your family. It's just so much going on. The Lord is leading you to a pasture on the other side of this thicket. I don't know a single pastor who has been in their church for 20-some years or more, 20, 30 years, who doesn't have a testimony about the early days, some significant crisis, some significant bottoming out where they question, should I be here? Should I stay? Should I go? What am I doing with my life? Those sorts of things. Nearly, I mean, every single one I know has some kind of testimony um, of that. And now in the 20, 30 years that they're enjoying, they've reached this pasture and it doesn't make ministry easy. But because they've been there long enough, they have established a track record and a longevity and a reliability and a credibility and an authority that people look to them as, you were here when the building was built. (laughs) They're uh, children who grow up and they're the only pastor that the kids know. Adults who have aged into relying on and and profiting from and, and growing under that pastor's voice, his preaching, his counseling. He's helped them through marriage difficulties and challenges with their children and all these sorts of things. When you can get to the pasture 
that has the nice cool pool of water and the nice cut grass, soft and mossy that you can kind of walk around on. And you have a gravitas that you wouldn't have if you left in year six or year seven to go to another place and start the process all over again. I think for those who can tough it out, if you can do it, this is not me trying to shame you or guilt you into doing something you shouldn't do. If you're on the verge of, of calling it quits on every level, this is n- not me trying to shame you or guilt you. But if you can find the resilience, Jesus did not promise that ministry would be easy. We sometimes act like it's strange when discomfort shows up, like ministry so, you know, supposed to be comfortable. If we could just remember that he has called us into a world of trouble If you're a pastor, you're on the front lines of sin. You see into the brokenness of people's homes and of their hearts in a way that even their other church members do not. If you can find the spiritual wherewithal to push through and trust that the Lord is bringing you through something that, yes, is painful, yes, is difficult, yes, is dark and confusing, but there's a pasture on the other side of the thicket. Trust that it's there and keep walking and keep holding the hand of Christ. That's my encouragement. Trust that there's a pasture on the other side of the thicket. That's all the questions we have for today. I want to thank you, listener, if you've made it this far. I know you hate the solo episode. You tell me. You send me the comments. You let me know. No more solo episodes. Jared is awful by himself. It's just garbage into my brain. I totally understand that, and and I do apologize As far as I know, the plans are this is the last solo episode for a while. So next week, we should be back with a co-host or a guest. We're going to get rolling very, very soon. Thank you for your patience. If you enjoy the podcast in general, maybe not these last two episodes, but in general, you enjoy the podcast, leave us a good review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And until next time. May Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.